Adulting can be hard. And have you ever noticed that the longer we adult, the less social we seem to become? Join us as a pastor, a lawyer, and a generalist walk into a podcast to make time for meaningful conversations about life, theology, and the church. We are The Socially Remote. Welcome back to The Socially Remote Podcast, and I'm Matt. I'm Stephen. And I'm David. And in today's episode, we are going to talk about social media. You know, social media, it, it, this, the subject matter that we're talking about here is a huge topic. And to cover and go into a lot of different directions, tackling a bunch of different things. I think for this episode, uh, we're going to talk about a couple things. But before we do that, let's talk about what is social media. Let's give it a definition. Uh, yeah. I think we need a definition because otherwise we are going to all just be kind of guessing. So for purposes we, of this discussion. Can we say that social media is media on which you're social? Well, that could be one definition. It could uh, be. I feel like that includes I feel like that includes every that's like every discus discussion on on the yes. internet where someone just log you know, logs in and writes I guess some rant under You could also make that a Sony Walkman. I actually pulled Webster's uh, I think it probably ca- captures it the best. And they define social media as websites and other online means of communication that are used by large groups of people to share information and to develop social and professional contacts. And so we'll go with that. It's pretty broad, as you can see. And um, with that, head to the sneak peek. So as I said a few minutes ago, uh, I think we're going to really kind of focus on two specific things related to social media. One is uh, sort of what do we know about social media usage? And in a minute here, I'm going to kind of get into some statistics about that. Uh, but some what? what are the what is the say what? Some you're going to get into some what usage like demographics like who's using it. How often? I Those you said type you were of cool things. Get into some statics about that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so we'll talk about a little bit about that, and then I think the second part is going to be about what we think. You know, based on our experience, based on um, other people's experience in sharing that with us, uh, what are the, what do you think are the societal effects of social media? So, just a little bit about social media usage and, and, and Stephen and, and, and David, I'd be curious what you thought. But the Pew Research Center, uh, who is probably one of the more reputable pooling and research institutions in the country, I think they're probably, you could look at Gallup, but Pew does a lot of more academic research, uh, did a bunch of studying on social media usage in the United States in 2019. And just to sort of kind of go through it, just to make sure you know, sort of level set as to what that looks like in America. A few things that sort of struck me. First of all, almost three quarter of a quarters of Americans, 72%, use some form of social media. That is a 30% or so increase from 10 years ago. Well, I think, I think it probably bears noting. I can't date all of fa- all of social media, but I can say that Facebook is really, if I'm remembering correctly, it's only about two decades old. Like maybe it's probably getting close to 23, 24, but you know, for, for something to increase by 
30% in 10 years is, is pretty drastic, but it's also still a very new technology. It's not, you know, I think, I think so many of us have grown up with it and it's just become such a large part of our lives that we forget that it's still fairly new. And I, I mean, there were precursors to Facebook. I think when we first talked about this, David said he w- was ready to talk about MySpace. So, yeah, yeah, MySpace was that was college for me. Was when I finally got on MySpace. Um, I had AOL Instant Messenger before that. That was my social connection. Ooh, uh, AOL Instant Messenger. I think that qualifies by Merriam-Webster's dictionary. AIM. It should. AIM. Yeah, that's right. AIM. <laughs> One time I saw a building with an AOL logo on it, and I thought, that can't still exist. But it does. My my screen name was Whiskers Fish. That's fitting. That's awesome. Is there a a story behind that that that's appropriate for this show? Yeah, that's what we named our tree snake that we kept in in college. Is there a story behind that that's appropriate for this show? (laughs) That was just the name we came up with. My friend worked at a golf course and found a snake, and we named it Whiskers Fish. Whiskers fish the snake. Whiskers fish. And and um, that snake was probably living in the weeds where we are right now. Do fish have whiskers? <laughs> Catfish. Catfish. <laughs> Matt, you're an outdoors guy, right? There we go. Yep. I'm spend well c- certainly right now. Yeah. I mean, as you know, I'm out all the time. You're yeah. you're uh, recording outdoors if I'm not mistaken. I can hear the cicadas yeah, exactly. in the background. Exactly. Mm-hmm. No, I was just thinking that my kids my kids are gonna grow up thinking that that social media has existed forever. You know, so for like, I mean, it's kind of like cell phone usage. I didn't get a cell phone until I was 16. And my kids were wanting cell phones by the time they were four or five because their friends had them. Um, and they don't have them. But they, but they wanted them. And so, uh, you know, I think just like uh, just like with everyone having smartphones, oh, social media is going to be something they just assume has, has always been. I remember my, my brother telling me about a little kid that was talking about YouTube. And he's like, the guy that, the guy that created that, he's probably dead, right? You know, like, <laughs> I was just like, well, YouTube's so old that the guy who, who found it has to be dead. And it's just like, no, that actually hasn't been around that long, you know? You know, you're, David, you're very cognizant. So one of the things that stuck with me from the last episode was your comment about how we're making history with COVID and how, you know, we are living through a time that we will always remember and always look back on and go, that was, that was what it fill in the blank. I don't know how we'll remember it, to be honest with you, but, you know, yeah. I, you're always very cognizant about how we're making history and i'm i'm grateful for that i just we are a historic generation well matt's not we established that in the first episode he's in the he's in the generation x <laughs> i'm apparently old you're yeah. old mm. so sorry matt we are off in the weeds like whiskers fish that's no, okay the this snake. is a sneak peek but that's okay that's okay so just sort of of that three quarters of americans that are using it the demographic i think pr- this didn't surprise me that much but 90 percent of 18 to 29 year olds are using social media. Nine out of ten. God bless that ten percent. <laughs> I want to meet the kid that's not. I can we find him and bring him on the show or her? It would be an, it would be a heck of an interview. Eighty two percent of thirty to forty nine year olds, which obviously encompasses all of us, and sixty nine percent of fifty to sixty four year olds are using it um, by by platform. And I should say that one thing that a little bit surprised me about how Pew did this, they included YouTube as a social media platform. Um, and, and I know Stephen and you and I talked about this briefly, but, um, 
I agreed with you initially. I'm like, hmm, really? But then if you think about it, you can like something. It's a way to get things out, to communicate socially. So I think it certainly meets the definition, but it didn't strike me as initially as something that is a traditional form of social media. I think of it more like a blog setting almost, where someone puts something out that they created and then everyone goes and comments on it and gives their thoughts. So I, I don't think of YouTube generally as much as like trying to connect with people. Um, yeah. Like I don't spend time replying to comments or, or uh, you know, trying to get people to reply to my comments or anything like that on on YouTube, the COVID-19 though, video. Yeah, exactly. We need to put a link to that. Speaking of <laughs> yeah, social media. Oh, it's, um, it's out there, David. I've got it. It is out there. You, you've got the blog post up. So That's folks right. Can look at our, our website. And did you know com. that I was able to screen capture you singing that with the right words in the in the YouTube video? I just screen captured that, made it a 500 by 800 pixel image and put it out there. It's, it's well there. Well done. Yeah. Well done. All right. Anyway, so yeah, there's YouTube. Yeah, so so the most popular, according to Pew, is YouTube at seventy three percent. But then if you kind of go into it, Facebook is right after that, sixty nine percent. Instagram thirty seven percent. Twitter was at twenty two percent. Facebook has three out of the top six, or three out of the top seven, if you include YouTube. Uh, they own those platforms. Um, so Facebook is Facebook, obviously Instagram. And I don't know uh, if a lot of people use WhatsApp. Um, well, I, I was just about to—I was just about to ask because it's on your list. You have WhatsApp at twenty percent usage, but this is America, right? So this is, all these yep. stats are America. Um, Correct. I, I will say that WhatsApp is very popular with some of my In European Europe. colleagues. Yes. Uh, I don't know, David. Did you experience that overseas? I never used it until we got overseas, and everyone that we knew had it because iPhones certainly weren't as popular as they are here. And so folks would get cell phone plans that had a certain number of texts. They get around that by doing Wi-Fi messaging over something like uh, WhatsApp. So yeah, a lot of our friends had that. And that's that's one too that I don't know that I would include. I mean, to me, that's just like opening up my text messages uh, to do mm-hmm. WhatsApp. So I wouldn't think to include that. But um, you know, obviously a, a definite way that folks are trying to connect. Well, but that one I will say has expanded. I get phone calls from Europe a lot on that on on WhatsApp. So do I. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Um, so they do phone calls, and I did read some about WhatsApp that is encrypted, and that's uh, that's actually kind of got a dark side to it too, because there's a lot of uh, criminal activity on WhatsApp. The views expressed in this podcast belong solely to the individuals expressing them and do not necessarily reflect the beliefs or opinions of their respective employers. I don't know for a fact <laughs> that there's a lot of criminal activity on You've WhatsApp. Heard. I've heard. I've read some articles, so. Uh, you know, yeah, I've read something. Um, <laughs> last thing I would say when we talk about usage is what is sort of the daily consumption? And 74% of people surveyed who use social media say they, they, get, they get on Facebook on a daily basis. Instagram, 63%. Snapchat, actually, it was at 61%. And so Twitter was at 42%. So that sort of gives you kind of a sense of who's using it, how often are they using it, what are the most popular platforms. Uh, I thought it was a good way to sort of kind of level set as to what we're talking about here. And one platform media. they didn't include is TikTok. And I actually just heard today that yes. TikTok usage during the uh, the coronavirus has been higher than I think Facebook and Instagram combined. So do you know much about TikTok? I don't really know much about it. Like, what's, I believe it's a work? song by Kesha. And, uh, no, no. no. Okay. Couldn't be no. wronger. 
Uh, it, it, it seems to be, it's just like a new form of Vine. So it's just really short videos, mostly people lip syncing to songs. Uh, that's at least how it started. But it seems like it's kind of turned into another Vine thing where people just make uh, little short videos. But apparently that is getting really, really popular and still seems to me like a very teenager thing that only 13-year-olds do. But um, it sounds like more and more companies are getting uh, are trying to use TikTok to get their business out there. And it just seems to be growing by a lot. And I heard a lot of people say, like, this won't. It's not going to amount to anything. But yeah, seems like it's, it's uh, really starting to explode. Well, and lastly, I, when we're talking about here in the sneak peek, uh, we don't get too far afield because we got a good bit to talk about is, is the sort of, what are the societal effects as we see them? And I actually found this quote from Mark Zuckerberg, which everyone knows is the founder or certainly the CEO. He would say, some would argue he's not the founder, but the CEO of, of Facebook. And he said, this, meaning Facebook, is inherently a cultural thing. It's at the intersection of technology and psychology. And it's very personal. And so with that, I think we will transition to For the Counselors. Feelings are mentionable and manageable. What were your initial thoughts about the social media usage before we actually get into what Zuckerberg had to say about the societal impact? What do you think about the usage of all of the tools that Mr. Zuckerberg created? I mean, the numbers don't surprise me. It's just, it's a little overwhelming to just think 90% of folks 18 to 29 are using and again i mean if you include youtube in that if that includes people looking up videos on how to make a recipe you know i feel like that's a little different than uh, would make me feel better (laughs) yeah than being on facebook all day Uh, speaking of i saw that facebook has introduced a virtual hug reaction now on the posts so if you want to give someone a virtual hug instead of a like or a heart or an angry face then you can do that in these challenging and uncertain times. So here's a question, <laughs> and and it's on my mind. I, I'm I'm partly being funny, but we have a lawyer on the line, so might as well might as well use that expertise. Um, my company sends me trainings once a month, uh, various trainings on various things, and I just happen to be doing the training on sexual harassment today. If you give an unwanted virtual hug. Is that sexual harassment? Um, well. Can you say no to a virtual hug? <laughs> I would simply say if an employee gave another employee a virtual hug and that made the employee feel uncomfortable. Hmm. Yes. That's probably not a good thing. What if they weren't uh, really now, uncomfortable, but they were virtually uncomfortable? <laughs> now, that's a different question because that's virtual sexual harassment. Um, so, <laughs> no, I, I, I think it's a really good question. And, and you know what? It actually brings up a, a, a broader point that I think is what social media is, which is it's a huge part of our life for a lot of people. And... There's the intersection between, you know, you just brought it up in the context of an employee doing it to another employee. Uh, maybe, and I'm just playing this out, but maybe that, that employee does have feelings for this other employee and that's the way they're going to show it is through that. And then say, well, you know, I'm just on social media. We're friends on social media. It was a joke. Uh, it's something they would never normally do like in real life with that person, but they feel like behind the social media, they can sort of sort of throw out a trial balloon. I mean, it, 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 social media does things to people that I think normally 
we're getting in more into the deeper discussion, but I think it does things to people on a psychological and emotional level they would never, ever do face-to-face. Uh, I really believe that. Well, and as it becomes an increasingly popular substitute for genuine interaction, then yep. if it's unwanted, you know, it's not contact, it's not physical contact, but it's unwanted advances or whatever else. And the, like you just said, it has the, it's just built in that you can be more extreme than you probably would be in person because you're behind a screen. This is really interesting to think about. Like, when will there be a lawsuit because someone is harassing someone by liking all their pictures or hearting all their pictures or giving them like you said virtual hugs like when will that lawsuit come i imagine it won't be too long but as that increase as that increasingly becomes the substitute for genuine human interaction then those things start to carry more weight you want to test that out man you know i've got my hands full right now at work (laughs) on other matters all right fine uh so what 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 do you uh, Stephen? What do you think about what do you think about Zuckerberg's quote? Do you want me to read it again? Or yeah, go ahead and read it again, you? just for just for posterity. Uh, so he says this, which he's talking about. Facebook is an inherently cultural thing. It's the intersection of technology and psychology, and it's very personal. So I think there are a lot of layers to that quote, and and the way that I feel about social media and and my relationship with it, I think it I think it bears mentioning that. None, none of the three of us are on Facebook, but by the definition of social media, I think we are all on some form of social media. I'm, I mean, I'm on LinkedIn, right? And um, I, I think you guys are on various forms. Not in the top seven. It wasn't in the top seven. I understand that. But I'm just saying like, we, <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. I, we can't yeah. get away from it. But one of the things when I saw that quote that immediately stuck with me, and again, this goes back to the layering of the quote, is that we as a society have chosen to treat social media as kind of a cultural artifact. It's, it is a thing, but what we, what we fail to remember is that it's being run by people. It is a very personal thing because it's being run by people. And I I think this is, this was much more apparent in, in recent years about just how much information and data we're putting out there about ourselves and how easily we can be manipulated and not even know it. And so mm-hmm. I, I think I think we like to pass it off as a very personal thing, as you know, culture and psychology and all this jazz. But ultimately, it, it's becoming commodified. Savvy companies yep. are able to target ads or political campaigns or whatever at you because of what you're putting out there. But at the same time, it is a part of our lives. I, I cannot think, especially with the way that we just defined some things, I cannot imagine life without social media. Like just look, like you just said, like looking up a recipe, like watching someone, cause I, what maybe it's TikTok. I don't know what it was, but you know, where they, where they try to do what they're seeing on a video, um, you know, and they, maybe it's a recipe maybe it's something else, but it, it, it's so much a part of our lives that we would have to drastically change the way we do life to go to go away from social media as a society as a family you know just in your core group and then as as that core group gets bigger the change would have to be bigger and so i have very mixed feelings about social media because i think i don't know that we can get away from it i think it does some good but i do think we don't spend enough time thinking or talking about it and there's some care that needs to be taken matt what do you think well i thought about it and 
it's, it's really, make no mistake about it, that these platforms have been created, have not been created just for leisure activity. The data that I should, that we just discussed about the usage shows this is not leisure activity at this point. Yeah. Um, the goal of social media creators like Mark Zuckerberg is to create it, to be a part of American culture, part of the world culture, to create its own culture, to have both a personal and a psychological impact on our lives. And the one component that a lot of people don't think about is, and it's all to the profit of billions of dollars to these companies. And so it's huge business. And every time we like and click and do hot takes and post, they are trying to use that information and selling it to advertisers and to make a bunch of money off of us. And I think that aspect of it gets lost. I think it's gotten more attention uh, because of legitimate privacy concerns. Um, and, and Facebook and, and the like have been investigated. But I think when it's easy, if you're using social media to think, Hey, I'm just out here. I'm posting and my friends are seeing this and you see the ad and you're just like, Oh, that's an ad, but that's how they make money and they're making billions on it. And I think that's something we can't lose sight of is that there is a business behind all of this and they're using our ability and our, our, our way in which we interact with others on that forum to make a bunch of money off of it. And, yeah. and and so that's sort of was my initial take uh, from the usage and and, and also the, the quote from Zuckerberg. And that all that stuff seems innocuous. You know, who cares that there's an ad that, you know, caters to me like that's convenient. Right. But the fact that these things are being engineered to create a, sp- a specific reaction from us, yep. um, you know, oh. it's the reason that Facebook went to the news feed that's based on an algorithm and that you can refresh repeatedly and get new info over and over and over again it's called a slot machine effect you know it's just you you can literally uh, not get to the end of it if you have enough friends you know you can just keep refreshing and refreshing and refreshing and i see people doing that like at ball games you know like there's a ball game going on in front of them and they're just there they'll open it up flip through see what they haven't read yet they'll close it five seconds later they pull it back out again scroll down uh for it to refresh go back through read see what's going on in their news feed again. I mean, these things are engineered to make make us come back to them again and again and again. So we're not hitting it as like a one-stop, here's my info for the day, like news headlines. Yeah. Um, you know, there's always going to be something new to go back and look for. And it, I think if we felt like people were consciously trying to addict us to something, we'd, we'd be really hesitant to go to that. But it all, again, it all just seems very harmless. But it's, it's yeah. being engineered to make you respond in a certain way. And that's what I don't like. About one of the main yep. things that I don't like about it. Well, I, you've you've said a couple of things that at least two things that I just want to jump on. But I think I think we need to therefore transition into the deep dive. I'm that was way too deep for counselors. That was yeah. Counselors was. counselors need to just skim the surface of our feelings and not plumb the depths. <laughs> that is for sure. Those counselors. So, Stephen, go ahead. Start off on the deep dive. So, you, know, you you mentioned something there, David, that I think, as, as I've thought about this podcast, I wrote that, that very word down as addiction. You know, we, I've just been thinking a lot about, and not, it's not even social media as much as it is technology. I mean, this, this phone stays with me constantly. I wake up in the morning. I get my hit, 
I look at what I look at, whether it's the news or the weather or Facebook or whatever it is. And then I carry it into the kitchen. I make some coffee. I look at it again. Like we have become so, and, and my kids aren't going to know a dad without a phone in his hand. And so don't you hate that? <laughs> well, so I say that like, it's a bad thing, but at the same time, they're going to do the same thing. And it's just become so prevalent that I don't think we step back and think about it. And, and it really does have some of the markers of addiction. I, I mean, I, I don't know if you, if you were thinking of talking about that, but if, if you looked up some of the markers of addiction, but you know, you look those up and you look at social media use and it's, it's very, I mean, you, you were ready with slot machine effects, so go for it. Well, I just, I don't want that for my kids. You know, like I, I lay in bed at night. Most nights when I go to grab my phone to watch something before I fall asleep, I think about the fact that my kids have never once in their lives gone to bed watching a screen in their bed. But why don't you want that for them though? I, I guess that's what I'm, if we really didn't want it, we would stop doing it. Well, I, I use that as motivation to not do it because I'm just thinking they've, for some reason that, that, that makes me view them as like, I see that innocence almost like that purity, like they've never laid in bed and started to watch, started out to watch one video and two hours later, <laughs> groggily gone to put their phone up on their thing so they can finally get five hours of sleep, you know? Yeah. Um, I just, I don't, I feel like it, when I feel that, that it's controlling me, I just think, man, I don't want that for them. That's why we haven't gotten our kids phones. And yeah. at some point we'll have to, but just any, any kind of addiction, you know, we're probably looser with TV, for example, than we are with phones. Like we let our kids watch TV. You know, I guess if we were super consistent, we would cut out all screens, but I don't know. Just, just the fact that we've, we, there's everything at your fingertips there all the time. I guess I just want something simpler for my kids. Yeah. But when we've kind of hinted around, uh, guys, we've kind of hinted around sort of um, how we've interacted with social media or previously did and, and where we are now. It would probably be good for the listeners just to understand where we are, uh, sort of briefly discuss our own personal experience. Stephen, do you want to go first just to sort of say, hey, here's here's been my experience sure. um, with it and and where you are now? Yeah, so I, I can remember getting on Facebook. I never did MySpace. Um, I remember getting on Facebook and, and really enjoying it. It was a time in, in uh, my life where I was having, uh, I had a long distance relationship with uh, my wife. And I mean, now, uh, then she we were engaged. And I was just doing a lot of moving around. And um, I was in grad school. And then after that, it, it, it was a way to keep up with people that I, I left, you know, once I graduated and moved away. And I, I do think that's a benefit is that you, you know, we are a transient people and we lose touch. But then with Facebook, you can kind of see people and what's going on and keep up with them without actually having to really keep up with them. And that always bothered me a little bit is I could pretend that I knew what was going on in their lives because I was watching their timeline, but I really didn't know what was going on in their lives. And so, uh, after, after that, uh, after I graduated and kind of started my first job, I decided that that was a bit of a distraction and mm -hmm. uh, that I was going to walk away from it. And I did, mm -hmm. and I was off for eight years. So I almost made it to a full decade without Facebook. And I actually wrote an article that I've posted onto our blog about having, you know, a decade without Facebook. But then I wrote a book and all the wisdom said, Hey, get online and build your own, build a platform. You need a platform to sell stuff and, uh, you know, get your name out there. And so I, I jumped back in 
you know, full, full bore. I, I did Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And, um, I was trying to build the platform. And ultimately there was, there was one day, uh, I was, I was actually laying in bed because I, I, David, I do the same thing. I go back and forth on, oh, I'm going to try not to lay in bed and look at my phone. I'm going to read or do something constructive. But I, I read a quote by Francis Chan one night while I was laying in bed and I quoted the entire thing on the, on the blog, but it, basic, the basic gist is social media gives everyone a voice. So everyone chooses to raise theirs. And he, he has some more comments, but then he said, um, how hard would it be to lead a, to lead, to coach a team where each player refuses to follow because he or she is a better player than the coach. Welcome to the American church in the 21st century. Let's exercise some humility. And I just, I took a picture of that quote that was underlined. I underlined it, took a picture of it, posted it on Facebook and said, I'm out. And <laughs> I walked away from, I walked away from it. That was in February of 2019. So it's been a little over a year and I haven't regretted it. Um, what's interesting, and this is, I'll, I'll end my story with this is after having been on the three social medias, coming back into it and actually trying to kind of build a platform and say, you know, try to be smart and say some things. I, um, I think if, if you held a gun to my head and forced me to get back on one of them, I'd probably choose Twitter. I really enjoyed Twitter. It was, it was a lot of fun. So that's my, that's sort of my interaction. And, and, and Stephen, for the listeners, who's Francis Chan? Uh, he is a, oh, that's a, that's a tough question. He is a, a pastor. I can't even say he's an American pastor because he, uh, led a mega church left, uh, went overseas and then came back and he kind of eschewed all wealth and all you know forms of, of the leadership and having that power. And he just, he now, uh, the last I heard, he's actually going back overseas, but for a while he started some house church movements in, in the Bay Area and San Francisco, and then he went back overseas. So uh, interesting guy. He, he lives what he preaches. So he does preach some hard stuff. It's hard because no one's doing it, and it does sound biblical, and it probably is biblical, but there's also probably other biblical ways to do things too, but it, it is a hard path. Uh, one might even say it's a narrow path but he follows it. And I think that's what gains him some respect and some credence in, in the church because he doesn't just preach it. He actually follows it. I, I did hear at one point that he, when he was a mega church pastor, he found, he pulled and found the median income of his area. And he said, don't, don't pay me more than that. And he would, he would ride a scooter to work. He hmm. could, he could have been making bank, um, and all of his book sales and everything. And, and again, I'm, I, I read this somewhere, so I don't know this firsthand, but all of that went to the church and he just made median income and lived life, um, like, like his congregants. And that's a great, that's a great example. David, what about your experience with, uh, social media? Yeah, I'll try to be brief. I, I uh, started out on MySpace in college and that was mostly because I was in a screamo band. And so I was helping manage, uh, the MySpace page for the Enclaved. And the Enclaved. I was really hoping it was going to be called Whiskerfish. The Enclaved. Yeah, Enclaved. Yeah, <laughs> kind of a mashup of a real word. That was an abomination uh, of a real word. But um, is that page still exist? I'm going to look it up right now while you're talking. It may. I had a I had a personal <laughs> MySpace page as well, and then I went from that to Facebook. I had Twitter for a while. I never quite got Twitter, mm-hmm. and so dropped that. I loved Instagram. I was on that for a long time. My page is still up, and sometimes I just go through and just look at my own pictures just to relive memories. And I also feel like I wrote a lot of funny captions on Instagram that no one ever responded to, but I thought were funny. So I I was on Facebook for a long time. I dropped Twitter. Uh, Then I got off of Facebook at some point during seminary. 
uh, just got so fed up with it. And I remember leaving that and having significant withdrawals, um, like missing it. And then even mentally, I would see something. And my first thought would be, how do I craft this into a Facebook post? And just thinking, man, this is such a weird way to be thinking. Like this has rewired my brain to where my first thought when I see something meaningful is how do I broadcast? And then we uh, started the process of going overseas and we're doing support raising. And I just felt like it was foolish not to have that way to connect with people who might want to know about what we were doing or support us and then keep up with us when we were overseas. So we tried to use it a lot when we were overseas to keep up with folks. Um, So I kept it through the end of uh, this past year, end of 2019. And then on, uh, on January 1st, uh, wrote a post and uh, it wasn't as cool as uh, Stephen's mic drop, but just kind of explained why I was leaving, but left that post up for about a day and then closed out the account. If I could go back and take a picture of a quote and put it on there, it would be this quote from C.S. Lewis in his book, Surprised by Joy. Uh, he says, while friendship has been by far the chief source of my happiness, acquaintance or general society has always meant little to me. And I cannot quite understand why a man should wish to know more people than he can make real friends of. And I was thinking, what a, what a great way to That's under, great. Undermine, That's awesome. undermine the sense that having social media is completely necessary uh, to being able to function in today's world. I would much rather have a handful of really close friends than be acquainted with 2,000 people that I've got to keep up with and wish happy birthday to and and all this. So anyways, uh, I left that at the beginning of the year and this time have genuinely not missed it at all. And it's been so nice. And I've heard people say, uh, I think I said this on the last podcast, you know, people talking about how the COVID stuff's driving them crazy and they just, they have to take a break from Facebook because of how bad things are getting with all the opinions on everything. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so nice just not being a part of that dumpster fire right now because it's, yeah, it's just going to be something else after the COVID thing passes. So yep. anyways, that's where I am. I'm not currently on any uh, anything except my Instagram page is still up. So well, uh, that's actually pretty good. The, sorry, I just need to clarify something with David here. I, I do think you might be. With Enclaved, was the D at the end capitalized? No. It was oh, not. okay. Well, then this is not your MySpace. I thought maybe you were back up on MySpace. I can't see it because there's no. <laughs> but I did. I don't find remember it. a capital D. No. I thought maybe that was actually for you for Enclave. You can get. You can go listen to our full album on YouTube if you want. Okay. It's, it's not good, but you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's www.youtube.com backslash Enclaved. That's it. Just go to go to Google Google YouTube. <laughs> so, and then google youtube uh sorry sorry matt please tell us your history what about you matt uh i'm just uh trying to bring the conversation back um (laughs) whisker fish yeah precisely uh so I'll, i'll i'll try to be brief too so i the first social media uh platform i had was facebook i believe it was my second year in law school and it was really just used as a way to be friends with people of my past and people I was currently friends with. It was not used a lot. And I don't remember the exact year. And so you're much better at dates and stuff like that. It was probably maybe seven or eight years ago, I, I guess. I had Facebook. I really didn't use it that much, but I, I certainly not nearly as much as you know the statistics I showed earlier. It's seventy-seven percent of daily use, but I had it. But what I what I encountered with it was, I'd be friends with I'd friends with, I was friends with a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds, and what was happening is is I would just see 
um, behavior, attitudes, the way people treated each other. And I'm not perfect by any means, obviously, and, and I'm sure I probably engaged in this too, but just a level of discourse that was just, quite frankly, ridiculous. And I was hearing every kind of everybody's political opinion, their religious opinion. And I was like, no, I, I really actually was on here just to see, to see what's going on in people's lives. Like, you know, set aside the politics, the religion, et cetera. And so that was the reason why I pulled the plug on Facebook was I just got so frustrated with that was all that was on. Like, I don't know if they call it your news feed, whatever your feed is. That's all I would see. And it would be like, you know, the people who would, you know, talk more than others would always be peering at the top of my newsfeed and be like making these ridiculous political statements. And I was just like, I'm not on it for this. And so I got off um, at some point in time. And I don't know if they overlapped or not. I got a Twitter account and I think I've tweeted maybe once or twice in the five or six years I've had it. And I use Twitter. This is the voyeurism that Stephen has told me before, said to me before. Matt, Matt is a voyeur. Is this a social media voyeur? A voyeur lawyer. A voyeur lawyer. I use Twitter as nothing but a, and I say news source, and people are like, oh, that's ridiculous. You just wa- listen to other people's opinions. Actually, what I use it for is I, I have a, a, a certain people I follow. There's people on the left. There's people on the right. There's people down the middle. There's people who like sports. It's all over the map. And a lot of what people do in Twitter is they'll embed articles and, and I, and I follow news sources too, like ABC news, wall street journal and humble and, brag. And, and yes, I'm not bragging, but the point of the story is it's a complete news source for me. And so I do read the wall street journal, but I mean, but Twitter it's not really is a bragging way, if it's true, right? That's right. But I will tell you, it's the voyeurism part of it that I think you're getting at Stephen, which is, you do see the train wrecks on on Twitter, which is somebody will post something, an article, and then there are 150 characters, hot take, and then the person is just trashed, uh, you know, and, and it's, and so you see what I just described on Facebook. Um, and every once in a while, you know, you're like, man, I really would like to engage in that. But I, generally speaking, I am not interested in tweeting. I'm not interested in engaging in the dialogue. It's really more of an awareness and the news and knowledge base than it is engaging in social media squabbles. So uh, just to be, throw all the cards on the table, I do have an Instagram account. I created it last year, and the only people I follow are my wife, my sister-in-law, my wife's cousin, and pretty much the entire Hillsong band. And um, <laughs> Oh, and Tim Keller. Uh, and so it's pretty much pathetic. Uh, nobody, and, I, and I've never posted on Instagram, so, and I probably never will. So, um, that's sort of my experience. My experience is negative and, 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 and for the reasons I just described. One thing I wanted to ask both y'all is now that you're no longer on it, do you feel less connected to what's going on? Or you, it sounded like to me, David, you said you sounded like more like you're, you're better off not knowing that sort of world. But I'd be curious if you, what, how y'all both think about, do you feel less connected because you're not on those platforms now? I don't know. Like, I don't know. I mean, how do you define connected? You know, like in, in what sense am I, because I still feel connected to my friends. You know, I still, I still text them or call them. You know, we use Marco Polo a lot uh, just to mm-hmm. chat with each other. I feel connected through that. I feel connected through church, through work, my family. I, I don't, I don't miss it at all. And there, there's a, there's a sense in which 
I'm, I'm thinking so many thoughts right now. I, I do feel disconnected in a, in a sense, but not in a bad way. You know, it's like mm-hmm. folks, folks, it's like everyone else around me knows about this meme or knows about this thing that happened because it was on Facebook and it blew up and everyone else knows. And I didn't know about it, but I don't feel, I don't feel bad about it. And one thing I realized, I remember in seminary, just, I, I just became aware that social media had stolen all of our stories. Like I would see a friend in person and start to tell them about something, but oh yeah, yeah, I saw that on Facebook when you posted about mm. that. And I was like, mm, I, don't have anything, I don't have anything to say to him anymore because I was so eager to post it online to get reactions from people that I didn't really interact with and want to get that affirmation or validation, whatever it was. And then, then when I sat down with my friends, like the folks that I actually knew, I didn't have anything to talk about anymore. And I knew everything about them and they knew everything about me because we were posting everything that was going on in our lives. And so in that sense, uh, I do feel a little disconnected. And I know that just because of the way things are, because it, it's such a cultural thing right now, it's such an important part of our culture right now, that that's just the main main avenue of communication for most folks. And so I realize that I'm not hearing things because other people are posting them on Facebook and just assuming the word's going to get out. And so I miss birthdays. I miss bad news about people, good news about people, just because folks are putting it online and just that's the main way that we get news out now. And they're not thinking, oh, I forgot David doesn't have that. So he didn't see that. I just, I'm missing out on stuff, but it's okay. Yeah. You know, because I'm still, I'm still having interaction with people, um, like face to face interaction. Obviously, it's limited right now, but I'm still having that. So I, I, I understand that I'm disconnected, but I don't feel it. If that makes sense, and it, it doesn't. Yep. Um, it's not something that I, I feel I'm being, like I'm being deprived of something right now. Yeah. It's just a part of my life that is different than most other people I know. Stephen, what do you think? Yeah. So, and I, I actually wrote a little bit about this on the blog post, but when I came back to Facebook after having been gone for eight years, uh, it was kind of fun to catch up with some folks digitally that I was like, oh, what happened in this person's life? Because they were, you know, they were prime on my newsfeed. I was like, oh, well, I haven't heard from that person in eight years. Uh, but to David's point, that probably means you weren't that close with them or, or you didn't value that relationship. And, and that's... I think we have to understand that that's okay. I think something that Facebook has done is, is sort of made it a, a little weird. Like, oh man, like like David said, if you miss a birthday, oh, you know, you're a terrible person. But how many people's birthdays do you really know? Like really know, right. even ones that you didn't put on your calendar. Um, so I, it was nice to, to catch up with people digitally and see what was going on in their lives and be like, oh, that's what happened to that guy or whatever happened to that 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 person that you know i used to sit beside and in, in you know when i was in grad school or what yeah and you can see that stuff but at the end of the day so what i mean they clearly aren't meaningful enough to you to pick up the phone and call them and find out and to david's point about you know stealing their stories i mean you're just i, I think what became very clear to me especially the first week or two that i was back on was this is a very consumeristic medium. Yeah. Like I can take a friend or a family member and I can take them out and I can, I can look at what's going on in their lives as, as long as it's convenient to me. And, and I think this is also one reason, by the way, that we don't post real, real problems or real messes on Facebook, because uh, as soon as it starts getting a little messy, I can put them back or I can hide them or I can whatever and uh, block them. And I don't have to 
I don't have to deal with that mess. And I, it's a, I don't think the digital world was, was designed to deal with, with messes. And I think that's why you have some of the polarization of the comments that, that you mentioned. Yeah. Matt, you're hiding behind a screen and no one knows you're looking and you can choose to engage in the fray. And as soon as you uh, decide you want to retreat, you can block everything and pull the plug. Um, but if you yeah. were having that kind of conversation face to face, it'd be a lot different. Like if we, if we were really disagreeing about something like that hardcore that you see on Facebook, that would be a different, that would be a different kind of conversation face to face. Well, and, and it's to me, there's a couple things I would say about, you know, connection and what the effects are. The first thing is, is that I do think that it has the negative effect of how we interact with people. It's not a normal medium as a human being to interact through a interface like that. Human beings are made, in my opinion, image of God, but made to be social and to interact face-to-face. Now, over the phone, you know, that's great technology, and I'm not trying to sound like a Luddite here. Well, you know what? Um, if, if they had had podcasting back in Alexander Graham Bell's day, I'm sure they would have done a podcast on the telephone. Exactly. And how, exactly. how terrible it is. Exactly. So, um, I'm not trying to sound like that. On the other hand, I think we can all agree that when you have a conversation with somebody in person, it's, number one, a lot more meaningful and the reason why is because you can actually, it's not 150 characters, and then you can just step back. You can read body language. You can read emotion. Uh, you can tell if somebody's annoyed by you or they like what you're saying. It's, it's real human interaction. And social media takes all that away and lets you sort of craft an image about yourself and how you want to portray yourself, your persona, how you want to argue something and you can basically light a match and just walk away if you want. And, and so I think it has a detrimental effect on the ability for human beings to converse. And there's a lot of people who are studying this. I mean, the, the, I read a book called reclaiming conversation. It's by an MIT professor, Shelley Turkle. Um, people should go read it, but basically talking about how people just don't know how to interact anymore. They don't know how to have a conversation anymore. And if you go to a restaurant, I mean, one thing she talks about in the book, I think this is in her book, she used to go to a restaurant and just look around at the tables, how people are interacting. And everybody is doing this. They're looking at their screens. And it could be a, a married couple. It could be a couple on their first date. It could be a family. And, and most of the people are looking at a screen. And so the ability to interact like we have been made to interact has been corrupted in my opinion by social media. Well, let me, let um, me push back on that for a minute. And in two ways, sure. um, do you think this is sort of an evolution of conversation? I mean, it, it could be that our kids don't find that abnormal. I hope not. Yeah. But, but I guess yeah, my I question, not. I, but my, why, why not? I mean, so I, I think we can, we can all, we can all um, identify with that. Like we, we can go to a restaurant. I've seen it. I've pointed it out. I've kind of been like, that's, it's ridiculous that there are so many people looking at their phones, but maybe this is how we interact. And the second point that I would push back on is, and ask is, do you see any sort of light? And what I mean by that is I've actually been really impressed by Marco Polo. Uh, because you do get all of that. 
So everything that you just said, social media takes away, you get it in, in some forms. If you choose to use those forms like Marco Polo, where you can get the facial expressions, you can, you can get the speech you can get the tone of voice. And for those of you who don't know, Marco Polo is sort of a video uh, messaging app. Like you record a video and it goes to the person and you're having a conversation. But what I found about Marco Polo is you actually have to listen to the person. You have to listen to the whole thing, um, whether you want to or not before you respond. Um, and that's actually, I think been a good thing for some conversations I've had with various people. I know the three of us have a Marco Polo that goes on pretty continually and I can't sorry, just interrupt. Jay. Yeah. Sorry, Jay. Jay was on a Marco Polo and then he just never participated. He was a voyeur. He went on a cruise, and that, that was that the cruise, end. cruise, man. That was that cruise. <laughs> that cruise. And it... <laughs> what is it with you lawyers um, and being lawyer? I mean, Jay's a lawyer, too, so it's... I mean, to me, having meaningful conversation is having conversation as much as possible with the person in person. It's It, it can be completely genuine. Um, you're not behind a screen. You're not sitting in your own house doing whatever you want to do. I mean, just, I mean, you could even say this about texting. I mean, you can respond to a text however you want. You can sit there and read it. You can think about how you want to say it. But it, to me, I, I hope to God that this is not how we're all going to interact in the future because I truly believe um, human beings need each other. And we don't need each other through a third-party interface. We need each other like as human beings, like relating to each other in person. And I think this whole coronavirus pandemic is not, it should drive home to every person that social media is not a successful replacement for that. And I think a lot of people are longing to see each other, whether it's in the church, whether it's at work or wherever. There's a reason why people are longing for that because they want that personal and physical um, interaction, and they're not getting it through social media. Well, um, so but so you can take this information in one of two directions. You can take it as as validation for what you're just saying. As we all have that longing inside of us, and so we're trying to move our technology there. But I guess the, the question still remains in my mind: Is do you think that technology will get there? And what I mean by that is I've actually heard uh, recently that one of one of the things that Apple is working on aggressively is augmented reality. And don't when I say this, don't think Google Glass, because that was a that was a failed attempt <laughs> at what I'm about to say, but essentially a glass a glass where I could put you in front of me. So I could sit at a table, say at a restaurant, and you could go out to eat too, and we could we could be looking at each other. Now you'd still have to have some sort of video component to that, but but it would be there to I mean, it's almost what we have here with with a Zoom call where we're all kind of looking at each other. And for those of you who are just joining us on this episode, we are doing this remotely. We're being good citizens and practicing our social distancing. Uh, we talked about some of the some of the aspects of of the coronavirus and and the quarantine on the last two episodes, and we may return to it because, uh, as Matt said in in some of the pre show, this is this is taking a an interesting turn in our in our society and in our lives, but. Uh, sidestepping that for a minute, we're all sitting here looking at each other. It's still not, we're not face to face. We're not, you know, and, and we've all said this is going to be a lot easier when we're face to face, but if the technology improved to where I could get a 3d image of you that looked almost real sitting in front of me, would that do the trick for you? Or, or do you think that we, that we are hopelessly needing that physical presence? 
I, I think, the, I mean, and David, I want to bring you into this discussion. Um, but I think I, I don't care what the technology is. You cannot substitute in person, real, genuine, meaningful conversation as long as there's a third party platform that is mediating it. Uh, and, 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 and so now whether people think it's a substitute, I think people are thinking social media is a substitute right now. Set aside what, what's in the future. And if we let it happen, I think it's going to have a result in a more degradation of our conversations. You see it, you see this impacting how people interact in politics now, how people act and discuss about re- religious issues. They don't interact. The discourse is, I'm on this side, you're on this side, and we're never going to be able to have to talk about it. And it's because people are so set up to be able to just uh, kind of fire off things on a tweet or a hot take or on social media um, without consequences. They've lost the ability to discourse. And society can let that happen. I'm saying it is not a, a real substitute for it. But David, you may have other thoughts. Yeah, you keep using the word substitution, and I think that's what it is. And, you know, we've never experienced what it's like to sit down and have a virtual meal with someone, you know, like for me to go to Texas Roadhouse and phone in Stephen or you, Matt, and just be able to have a meal with you at a table, even though you're not really there. I mean, who knows what that would be like? But um, at the end of the day, it is a substitution. And if it means that I have, you know, less conversations with people or that I'm having to divide my attention between less people throughout the day. We, we just have this idea that, that more is always better. The more people I'm connected to, the better off I am. And yep. if I have to sacrifice quantity over quality, I'm okay with, with doing that, you know, and maintaining the quality of a few relationships. If it, you know, means that they're able to, I'm able to go deeper and I'm just having to limit myself to in face conversation you guys you guys keep saying something and i i, I want to push on I, I know we're we're going a little long and, and we do want to wrap up this you know here soon but i do want to I, I just i need to ask i don't disagree with you but what you're saying is is sort of kicking this around in circles why why do we feel that it's a substitute? Because even David, even while you were talking, I was sitting there thinking, I've been I've been in a long distance relationship when I was engaged, you know, we were four hours apart. And I have gone to a restaurant and been on the phone with my my fiance the whole time and now, you know, now my wife. But right. it was a substitute. Because if I had had my way, I would have preferred to have had her sitting across from me. So mm. I what I'm what I'm trying to get at is is why what is special about the face-to-face, in-person conversations that even like what we're doing right now where we can see each other, but so we are face-to-face. We're on Zoom, right? What is special about being in-person that social media robs us of? Well, I mean, I think it's the genuineness. I, there's no empirical data that suggests this, or maybe there is, um, but I think it's Number one that hits me from your question is uh, the genuineness is lost. Uh, when what you do you mean by that? Commu- like, what are you lacking in because, genuineness because, from me right now on the phone doing this with my hand in your face? <laughs> so, so 
as I'm interacting with you right now, I'm, I'm seeing how you're answer, asking the question and you're using sort of body language yeah. um, and you're listening to me and, and I'm, and I'm looking at you and you're, you're intently listening. Like you really care. Um, compare that with a social media situation where someone before they put a post or a tweet out there sits there and frames it up how they want to respond or how they want to do yeah, this. Yeah. And they portray themselves in a certain way. And it, it, I'm not even saying it, that sounds like it's nefarious. And sometimes it maybe is nefarious. Sometimes it's probably just on the subconscious level that we are so now accustomed to communicating in that way. There's a lack of genuineness about it because yeah. we're not, we're not going to post something. Our, our, our thoughts on Facebook without really thinking about what we're saying. Right now, maybe some people do, but generally speaking, people are going to try to portray themselves in a certain way, whether it's an argument, whether it's a comment on a news article, whether it's a comment in somebody's post, whatever that may be. Um, that to me, you lose that as opposed to being in person. And if I said something to you, hey, did you read the article about this? This was my take on it. What do you think? And then there's a genuine dialogue between us about that, as opposed to you reading the article and thinking about it. And do I want to be snarky? Do I want to be a jerk? Do I want to just ignite a further match? Um, that's what you see on social media. And I think you can judge social media by the, by the, by its fruits. And to hmm. me, what we have in our culture is rampant tribalism now. And I think social media has engendered that. Um, we are in tribes. We are in, I'm on this team. I'm either on the white hat or the black hat and I wear one or the other. And it, that's what social media has done. And because people I, are willing, I know. because people, because people are willing to say things that they would never ever say to somebody in person. Not be, and the reason why is because number one, they feel like they can get away with it, and number two, they are not being genuine. Maybe they are. Maybe they're. Maybe it's their ugly side of them. I don't know. But I think it, social media has contributed to the tribalism um, that we find ourselves in, and the way we put ourselves into certain camps. Do you not though feel like politics has always been like? I mean, we have wars and civil. I mean, you you can look back at the European history, and I mean, even even American history when you know there becomes these issues that so divide people that we end up in war over it. I mean, that's or or the Hatfields and the McCoys. I don't know. I mean, it, it communication breaks down at some level, and I, I don't know that. I, again, I, I I'll. I'll preface this by saying I don't disagree with you. I'm just trying to push a little bit and try and get to the root of this because I do think there is there's something inherent about social media about being able to hide behind what you say, but at the same time, I do think we've we've been polarized in the past. I don't think that's a I don't think that's a trait that's that's unique to social media. But if media. you look but if you look at any poll that's done right now, yeah. there's more polarization today than there's probably ever been in this country. And I'm not going to put all of it, lay it all at the feet of social media. But when you have only 55%, 55%, I read this, 55% of the country will only spend 15 seconds on reading a news article. 15 seconds. That's half the country. Now, 
Where, where can you spend that much time on a news article and get anything out of it at all? Twitter. Our attention sp- <laughs> exactly. Our attention span is as good as a scroll or a click on a social media. Yeah. And if 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 we don't think that that's a problem, that we're not really trying to fully understand human beings and understanding people's p- perspectives on things, because we're only given 15 seconds to a news article. I mean, that's a huge problem. And I think that's part of the breakdown of into this tribalism. And I think social media has played a, certainly a big part in it. And, and as you said, it can be Twitter. I, I mean, I think it's on Facebook too. Uh, you know, you people post articles and, they, and I've heard people say they get their news from Facebook and you got to be careful. It's the only real place I, to get news, Matt. Well, I, as I said, I use it in Twitter, Twitter as a news outlet, but I've got a very diverse, um, group. But, um, in any event, you know, it's, it's a good dialogue, Stephen, to have. And I don't know if David has any other final thoughts about it, but I do think it's the, the, the breakdown in discourse in this country has resulted in the tribalism that we now find ourselves in. And so, I think there's a causal effect there. And um, so, I, you know, there's my thoughts on the, you know, why, why it's not an appropriate substitute. I think it has major ramifications way down the line that I don't even think we necessarily fully grasp. Well, you know, your example there, Stephen, about going to dinner and being on the phone with um, your wife, you know, that's a case where it's like it's either that or nothing. And it's your fiance. Uh, at this point and so you want to foster that relationship so you take that i think my my struggle is we feel like we need to do that with everyone that we have ever met Hmm. now so that's where it's hard for me because i think a lot of times we're we're pursuing those relationships not necessarily strengthening strengthening them in any meaningful way but we're pursuing them at the expense of relationship with people that are around us every day like when I'm talking to someone and they just pull out their phone and check something or worse. Now they look at their, look at their smartwatch. You know, (laughs) I used to, I used to hear that it was rude to look at your watch when someone was talking to you. And it's rude to look at your text when someone's talking to you. Thanks to the smartwatch. You can do both now. Um, You can just completely check out of any conversation that you're having with someone. And so that's my problem. Like some relationships might just need to die or might just mean to be put on pause for a while. Not all of them. But the fact that I need to be able to keep up with everyone I went to high school with and everyone I went to college with and everyone I've ever met everywhere, I think that's that's the struggle there. If it's like, well, I'm not going to FaceTime my wife tonight while I'm on a business trip because that's a cheap substitute for having a face-to-face conversation. You know, I mean, that's obviously that's ridiculous. I'm going to do that so that I can maintain the relationship with her because I want to talk to her and her relationship means something to me. But that doesn't that to me is apples and oranges if you're talking about uh, – yeah. You know, do, trying to do the same thing with 1,500 people on Facebook and trying to interact with them and jump into their conversations and jump into their life and try to get them to believe your opinions and then listen to their opinions when they're yep. giving them to you and trying to, trying to change your mind, too. I think that's, to me, it can be an, a bit of an apples and oranges discussion. I don't know your your thoughts. I mean, Stephen, I'll, you know, you've asked me the question. I've sort of laid it out there, but I'll sort of throw it back to you. Do you think... Number one, do you think social media is an appropriate substitute for genuine in-person conversation? And number two, and I guess number one, your answer to number one probably affects number two, but do you think that social media has played a part in the breakdown of conversation in this country? So I, I think, why don't I do this, Matt? 
Why don't I answer that in my parting shot? Because next week, I think we'll come back out and we'll talk about, okay, so we've, we've sort of talked about the what of social media and maybe how, how it's affected us and, and how we feel about it and what we think it's doing a little bit. We may, we may touch on that a little bit next week, but, uh, or next episode, I should say, I think let's, let's come back to that in, in the next episode of how should we then respond? So I'd say let's, let's hit our parting shots and I will address that because I think listening to you guys, I think I have a a good parting shot that will answer that question. So my parting shot is going to be, I think what having this conversation has allowed me to realize at least the, especially the last 15, 20 minutes is that there is some benefit and there is some good to social media. And some of that benefit and some of that good is the actual substitute. It's good when, as David said, it's there to connect us to people we otherwise cannot have a face-to-face relationship with. Maybe maybe we have a long-distance relationship with our spouse or significant other. and Or maybe we're on a business trip and we can do a FaceTime. We can see our kids. We can see our wife. It's still a substitute. So don't get me wrong, but... You know, even 30 years ago. In fact, I, I'll I'll end with this story. I remember working for uh, a nonprofit, and the CEO had been there for 25 years. And I remember getting ready to leave. I was in a I was in a director role, and I was about to leave for three days to go on a to go to a training conference. And he was coming with me, and I said, "Hey, you've been doing this for a while. I'm just I'm just genuinely curious." Um, not trying to call you old or anything else, but what did you do? Like I've told everyone, Hey, if you need anything, call me, whatever's going on, you call me, you know, whatever you need, call me. What did you do 20 years ago when you didn't even have a cell phone, right? If there's an emergency, what if, what if there was a fire or, or, you know, and he said, you just, you hired good people and you trusted them to make the right choices in your absence. And I think that what social media has given us is a hyper connectivity to the people we love and to the people we don't love, whether we're willing to admit that or not. <laughs> that's another story. And I think that's where, I guess that's the flip side of the coin. So the blessing in it is that when I go on a business trip, I can see my family. I can see them if I'm half a world away. The The other side to that coin is that we feel like we have to do that with everybody, and we have to keep up with everybody when it's there, when it's when it's so much in front of our faces. And I also think, and we can we can talk a little bit more about this in the next episode. There is that addiction standpoint to it. Is the more you like scroll through the slot machine effect, whatever it is, the more you update, the more you're like, oh, I need to respond to this. I need to you know make sure people know that I'm seeing this, and and it's not real. It's not real, and you know it's a substitute for for that real relationship. You don't know that you, there's no reason you would have known that that was going on in that person's life unless you picked up the phone or gone out to dinner with them or whatever. And so my, my parting shot is the same thing that I sort of ended my article that I put on the blog. Click cautiously. If you're going to, there are some blessings to it. There are some good things out there, but there's also some, uh, some very bad things. And I, I've, I've listed four in that blog post. So read the blog post, but my my parting shot is to click cautiously uh, or click responsibly as it as it is. So, David, what about you? Parting shot. Uh, I think social media has benefits. I don't think they outweigh 
the cost. And I would I would uh, commend a book called Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. It's just a really helpful book uh, thinking through uh, this issue. Um, and so that was one for me that really made me uh, just inspire me even yeah. uh, more to want to cut back on the time I spent on social media. I do think it has benefits. It's not benefit less. Um, but at, at the end of the day, I don't think they outweigh the cost of them. And I think what we're trying to do is pursue a level of relationship that we're designed to have with a few folks. Um, and we're trying to uh, now have that kind of relationship with hundreds, maybe thousands of people. And I think in the process, the folks closest to us suffer as a result. And so that's why I don't use it anymore. That's why I don't miss it. And that's why I would try to encourage anyone I could to spend less time pursuing that and giving their energy and time to that and trying to focus more on the people that are right around them. Yeah, I think the only thing I would say for the end of this episode uh, is my experience with Facebook and and my experience with social media. And as I said, I have a Twitter account, but not a single person I follow on Twitter I actually know. I don't have any personal relationship with any of these people. But my experience is is that it is a contributor to a breakdown in conversation. I would uh, recommend several books. Um, one is Robert Putnam's Bowling Alone. That was that was written in um, the early two thousands. Uh, the did, reclaiming did you say, conversation. Did you say bowling alone. Bo- bowling alone. Okay. Yeah, and it and talks about sort of the societal effects. Um, it was almost pre-social media, but basically the societal effects of the inability to communicate and wh- what that means to a democracy. Um, the second book is is the Reclaiming Conversation, which is talking more about the psychological and emotional impact of social media, uh, and it has a lot of empirical studies about that. And that's from an MIT professor. And the third book is is a book by uh, Ben Sass, who's a, a senator from Nebraska. And he wrote a book called Them, which is more about the the tribalism that we now get ourselves into. And he's quite critical of of social media. So I think it's a breakdown in our discourse. And if you're going to use social media, understand it's a tool and, and you should leave it as a tool. But I don't think it's a tr- substitute for genuine relationships and genuine conversation. Um, I think next week uh, or next episode, we'll talk about sort of what does the church say about social media? And, and discuss that. And I, I think it's a long conversation we're having. There's a lot of different ways we can go, but I think the church can speak to some of these things. The Christian church can speak to these things. And, and I'm looking forward to that part of the conversation. And I really would like to dive a little bit more into as well as to sort of the business behind it. We talked about what sure. Zuckerberg says, but I think that's a, a critical aspect of this is, is what does this mean from a business perspective that people are capitalizing on? on our social media interactions. So, but it's been a pleasure guys. I've always enjoyed talking with you guys and uh, look forward to the next episode. What I don't want to do from this episode is alienate a bunch of people who are using social media. Maybe you've never thought about, maybe you have, I'd be interested in, in counterpoints on this, mm-hmm. you know? So if, if there's, if there's anything that you feel like we've left out of this conversation or that we've just got a huge blind spot to on this, please send us an email. Yeah. You can email us at hello at the socially remote.com. Give us your opinion. Uh, give us books to read, shows to watch, whatever. We, we do that sort of stuff to, to prep for these episodes. But this has been a very good conversation, and I'm, I'm looking forward to the next one. And you know what? If, if 
this is something you've actually never given much thought to. It's just you've you've always done it. I'd encourage you to give it a shot. You know, take a take a week, a month off of social media and see how it fits. You know, I, I will say the first time I did it, it, it felt weird at first. The second time, it was like, ah, oh, this is nice again. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> don't don't just listen to us and get mad. Interact with us. We aren't on social media though, so it's kind of harder to interact with us in that way. <laughs> <laughs> so now that we're not on social media and we just alienated everyone who is, no one's going to be listening to this show anymore. <laughs> so great to have you guys listening uh, and we'll never see you again. But no, really, truly reach out to us. Hello, the social remote. Listen to the next episode uh, and interact with us that way. Uh, I'd be even happy to, you know, if, if it was getting to be a good conversation, you know, we could have some other people on or have phone calls or whatever. So um Please do, uh, and don't don't just uh, give up on us because you disagree. That's the whole point of this podcast is to have genuine and real conversations. So, thanks, guys. Looking forward to the next one. Yep, sounds good. Sounds good. See y'all. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Socially Remote Podcast. Until next time, stay socially remote, but in a good way. Try to practice social distancing from the tribalistic monologues you find in places like social media. Instead, we encourage you to have similar, meaningful conversations with friends, family, and neighbors. Kind of like the ones you hear right here on the Socially Remote Podcast. Podcast.